Well, this is a special morning for me. Typically, you'd find me in trickling in a little bit late, coming from hanging out with the fifth and sixth graders at the end of the children's hallway. I figure if I can handle 50 fifth and sixth graders, today should be a piece of cake. So um, I get to be a part of a, a three-part series that we're going through. Last week, Brad looked at the purpose of the family. And I love what Brad had to say in the sense that God could have chosen any way he wanted to have faith passed on to the next generation. He could have used school or church or neighborhoods or friendships, but the family is the primary vehicle God chose for our faith to be passed on from one generation to the next. Uh, I'll be covering the pillars of the family today, and then uh, Brian and Zach will tag team next week to look at the playbook of the family. They'll look at some big picture uh, discipleship ideas and then zoom in a little bit and say, hey, from the perspective of a, a parent, how, how can I effectively be a disciple maker? So before we jump in, uh, I'd like to introduce my family. That's me. I'm Dusty Davis. I oversee Club 56 and I'm on our family ministry team. Most of you are at least familiar with my wife, Amanda. She loves serving up here on the worship team, singing with Tim. And if you'd like to know me from now on as Amanda's husband, that's okay. In the children's hallway, she is often referred to as Mrs. Dusty. So it's a good trade-off. And then our boy, that's Caleb, just turned four last week. And Mariah is on her way to two. So if it's within godly families that the Christian faith is authentically lived out and effectively passed on to the next generation, those godly families must be centered on Godly marriages. And those godly marriages are comprised of godly people, the pillars of the family. So when I picture the family, I picture this diagram right here. And the foundation at the bottom has to be Jesus Christ. I put it there for two reasons. Number one, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin? Do you believe that Jesus' death on the cross was the payment for the penalty of your sin? Because if not, nothing else this morning really matters. It's, it's not really attainable without a personal walk with the Lord and the Holy Spirit inside of you. And then number two, Jesus Christ has to be the foundation of a believer's life. We have to make that conscious decision to say, Lord, I'm putting my family on you. You are the bedrock of my life, my marriage, my home. So once we're there, then we got the pillars above that. Dad and mom standing strong there, looking sturdy. And then above that is everything mom and dad support. Kids, pets, work, home church, adopting an Aggie, extended family, school. Everything mom and dad have to stand there, filter through, and support with regards to their family. So as we take a look at those pillars today, I want to look at two components. I want to look, number one, at the integrity of each of those pillars individually. And then I want to look how those two pillars work together in unity, in teamwork. So as we take a look at the integrity of each, we turn with me to 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. If we're to be strong pillars, what, what is that standard? What is the goal that we're shooting for? I know I, I can easily just use how I feel. Well, I feel like being lazy and short with my wife. And most of the time I don't do that. So hey doing pretty good. Or if I want to feel good about myself, I can compare to a couple I know is struggling. Hey, look, I, you know, I got this together. Or if I want to feel mopey and down, I pick 
some couple I, I, I think is superstars, and I go, man, I'm not going to get there. But the word gives us our standard, our goal, where we're shooting for. First Peter 1, 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That's a pretty humbling standard. To be holy in all of your ways, all of your behavior. But that's where we're headed. As believers, that's what we're called to be pursuing. So how do we get there? A great way, a good step is spiritual disciplines. I'm going to briefly talk through six of them. But last summer, all we focused on was spiritual disciplines. So you can go online and grab that series and pick any of them you want to dig into more. Uh, Bible. You can do it individually. You can do it corporately. You can casually read to just spend time in the Word and get to know it, listen to it. Or you can really dig in and study it. We got inductive Bible studies on the website to download and you can go as deep as you want. Prayer. You can do prayer, once again, individually or corporately, quietly in your mind, out loud, write it in a journal. Just that conversation with the Lord. Then you've got worship. What are ways that you can incorporate into your day to where you can take time to give God the worth, the glory that he's due? Whether it's music you listen to in your car, at home, at work, uh, the backdrop on your computer or your phone. Something a man and I picked up from some friends of ours, we do a blessings jar. So anytime that something happens in our life that we feel was an obvious work of the Lord, we write it down on a slip of paper, fold it up and drop it in the jar. And then at the end of the year, we dump them all out and we read them and we give God the glory for what he's done in our life over that last year. Um, you've got serving, serving your home, serving your community, at school, at church. It's just practicing putting others before yourself. Giving, you can give of your time, give of your money, give of yourself. That's just developing a habit of holding loosely things that you would call yours. And then lastly, fasting. Finding something that's normal, that's in your everyday life that you can remove. So that when you turn to it or you desire it, you can take that moment to stop and shift your focus to the Lord. I wish that spiritual disciplines were like a math equation. And I could tell you, hey, just go do these six things and you'll come out holy in all your ways on the other side. Unfortunately, we know that's not how it works. I'm reminded of Revelation 2, where the Lord's talking to the church in Ephesus, a strong church, a church where Paul spent a lot of his time and left Timothy there behind him, where he wrote the book of, the book of Ephesians was written to them. But the Lord says, hey, you guys, your deeds have been great, and you've been really good at testing teachers to tell whether they teach truth or whether they're false teachers. You've even persevered well in my name. But I have this against you, that you've left your first love. And it must have been a big deal because he said, if you don't repent and turn in your ways, I'm going to come and remove your lampstand. Where's your heart? I think of David when he finally really came to grips with what he had done with Bathsheba and killing off her husband. And he said, God, I would give you any sacrifice you desire. But what you want is a broken, genuine, contrite spirit. So 
what's the secret of melding uh, your heart, your love for the Lord, and, and the obedience of spiritual disciplines? I think it's found in Romans 12. Uh, if you'll turn to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. All right, we get kind of a one-two punch here. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In verse 1, we see that putting your life on the foundation of Jesus Christ, drawing that line in the sand, presenting your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. God, and I'm yours. You can have me, my marriage, my family, my future. My plans are in your hands. And then in number two, we see the way by which we engage in that. I love the fact that number two doesn't say, do not be conformed to this world, but transform yourself. No, don't be conformed, but be transformed. From the inside out, like Tim and Amanda saying in the special. We do these spiritual disciplines, almost as little invitations. We send out to the Lord all day long saying, God, I'm inviting you into my life. I need you. Or little altars that we crawl up on and go, God, here's my heart. Change me. I think the trick is in perspective that we don't go out and try to look like strong pillars, but that we're actually transformed into them. I could have a, a styrofoam pillar up here and someone gifted could paint it to look rock solid. But if you take all the weight of what we support with our families and you put it on that pillar, it's just going to crumble. Because simply looking like a strong pillar doesn't get you anywhere. It's that partnership with the Lord and pursuing him and giving him access that really, truly, genuinely transforms you into something that reflects Christ. Not just an image, but something that truly is a picture of Christ to those in our life. Well, the other component, looking at not just the strength of each pillar, but the unity of the pillars together, working as a team. You know, the... The moment you're on the altar and you stand and you say, I do, God takes the two and he melds them into one flesh, supernaturally. But it's a whole lot harder to step down from that altar and then live life as one flesh. You're taking two very intimate, personal, spiritual lives. You're taking two different people with personalities and um, goals and you're trying to bring them together as one. So three things to help Build unity in your marriage. Number one, unconditional love, grace, and commitment. Just over and above, constantly just affirming, man, I love you. I'm committed to you. I respect you. I'm not going anywhere. And then when one of us trips up and falls, as happens every day, we extend grace to create an environment of security so that we know, hey, I got your back. You got my back. Let's grow. Let's come together. So once you're fostering that kind of environment, I would say get on the same page. I think of it like if you're building a home and you had two contractors and they're both blue ribbon contractors, I mean, top of their class, and they're going to partner to build your home. The only problem is they're each working off of a completely different design. 
that house is going to end up a mess. And that's not the direction that we want to be moving within our marriages. So I would challenge you, sit down, husband, wife, individually, and come up with your top five or ten priorities or values. What does it mean to be a Davis? What does it mean to be a member of your family? And then come to get, well, pray first. That always helps conversation um, between us. And then talk through, hey, here's my priorities, here's your priorities. Let's talk through this and come up with a top 10. So that moving forward in our marriages, we're working off the same blueprint. And then lastly, I'd say hurry up and wait. Hurry up in the sense of, man, do something. Get started. Don't let the urgency of life or the busyness of life keep you from pursuing that unity, that oneness in your marriage. But at the same time, know that you're going to have to be patient. We live in a 4G microwave society where everything's at the tip of our fingers. But taking these two people and really becoming one takes some time, just like being transformed into a strong pillar does as well. So at this point, I'd like to take what we're talking about and put some teeth on it, get a little more practical. Uh, So I'm going to invite up Lance and Rhonda Sims and Johnny and Cindy Stimson. They're going to come up and share a little bit with us from their life. I do want to say as they come up that no one up here is a professional. Part of the reason um, we wanted to bring some couples up was to really highlight the fact that we need each other. We're not meant to do this on our own. Being a faithful spouse, a godly spouse is super difficult and having a marriage of unity is hard. So everyone around you, we need each other to know, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? So we can cherry pick here and there and put together that plan that really fits for our family. So Lance, Rhonda, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Lance. I'm Lance. It's my bride of 26 years, Rhonda. Uh, we have a couple of boys, 119, uh, 117. Been attending Grace since probably 1997. We did not have children immediately in our marriage. It was about seven years before we had our, our first ones. Awesome. Johnny, Cindy? I'm Johnny, and this is my wife, Cindy. I have 28 years. We... Uh, did start a family right away after uh, getting married. I think Cindy was pregnant about two months into our marriage. So we have four children. Danny is 27, Chris is 26, Katie is 25, and Stephanie's 22. And uh, we have our first granddaughter, Stella, who's almost one. So. Awesome. Well, I was raised ladies first. So Cindy, if you're game, if you would just share a struggle or a challenge in your life with regards to either pursuing intimacy with the Lord or pursuing unity with Johnny? Sure. Um, as you could tell, when Johnny described our family, um, God blessed us quickly, one right after the other. And so um, there were a lot of challenges, not just in our family, but even for me personally. We were talking this morning about the first six years of our marriage, probably more than half of those months I was pregnant. So you can know that um, I had some funny things going on inside of me as well as a house full of children. Um, It was very busy, uh, lots of things going on. And Johnny was definitely a very hands-on dad, which I appreciated. You know, changed the diapers, got up in the night with sick kids, uh, would babysit when I needed to go somewhere, things like that. And that was very important. But I really think one of the most important things he did for our family and our marriage was 
that he um, looked ahead. He planned for the future. He was always praying for our family, and I knew that. He um, was planning ways that we could train up in, uh, our children in the way that they should go. And um, he just really went above and beyond just the, the daily help that um, was great. But it gave me such a, a sense of security and confidence to know that he was planning those things. That wasn't just all up to me as the mom to come up with activities even in our family. And one of the things he did um, as our kids got a little bit older is he decided to buy a pop-up camper so that we could have some camping trips where we could pull away and just be a family outside of all the busyness. And a tradition that we kind of started there was um, at each morning breakfast, Johnny would have a devotional time with our kids and just, uh, again, imparting the word to them and helping them to understand and know God. And um, it's even something we still do today. Uh, we were just with all of our kids a couple weeks ago at the lake, and Johnny, uh, at the breakfast each morning, had a devotion. And even the weeks before that, the kids were texting and, well, Dad, what do you have for us this year? And what's, what's your topic? And so it's something we've been able to keep going and um, even into their adult time. So I think just having Johnny be much more um, proactive beyond just the daily has, has what's kept us in a good place. Hmm. Cindy even shared a story about many times where Johnny would be on his way home from work and she'd say, okay, dinner's on the table. As you walk in, I'm walking out. And so... <laughs> They would just swap at the door and uh, Johnny would help out there for a while. So that's awesome. And for us, I think it was, um, for me, it was hard to learn how to not wear the pants in the family and reading, like you said, you know, reading the scriptures and what is God's design for the family and what is obedience in my role as a submissive wife, honoring his leadership. And I really didn't want to wear the pants in the family. Like you were saying, you want your husband to bear that heavy burden of leadership because God didn't cut me out to do that. And so just sitting back and hushing long enough to let him lead well and um, encouraging him in his role of leadership and understanding what that looks like um, was great to be in Bible studies. And we've read the book Love and Respect, and we've been in a lot of Bible studies with other ladies and finding out how they walk well with their husbands. And, and, and just, it was great to be in Bible study semester after semester after semester with other ladies who had great marriages and understanding and watching them walk well and what that looks like for me and my role with him and how to honor him in his role as leadership in our home. Well, with all the talk of men leading, I suppose a man should lead out on the next one. Uh, Lance, what, what's a challenge you faced in, uh, just leading your family toward intimacy with the Lord? It's, it was being passive as, in terms of my spiritual leadership. From my perspective, I think guys struggle at, at both ends of that spectrum. They're either heavy-handed, um, domineering, you know, take control, it's going to be my way or the highway, or, again, where I was um, tempted and, and uh, struggled with just checking out. I mean, the easy thing to do is nothing. Um, so I was convicted and uh, it was later the boys, I think, uh, my oldest was in high school and, and uh, Tucker, the younger one was in junior high and I was convicted that I wasn't really stepping up and being that, that godly leader that, that God has charged me to be. And guys, I would say to every one of y'all, whether you like it or not, that is your God given role. You are responsible for what happens in your family. So God really spoke that to my heart. Um, and I'm reminded in Genesis 3, if you read the, um, the fall of man, Eve took the fruit and ate. And of course, then she gave to Adam. But when God came looking for them that evening in the garden, 
Who did he call out for? He called out for the guy. He called out for the man. Adam was responsible for what happened. So I needed to embrace my role as a spiritual leader in my home. And so we tried some different things. Uh, I mean, obviously I had to pray for Ron and pray for the boys, but in terms of really leading well and being an example, what, what did that look like? And what we finally landed on was, um, again, this worked best for us and our structure, our family structure is we were going to do a morning devotional. And that meant that we were going to get up 30 minutes earlier than we normally would get up. And we were going to be on the couch in the living room. We we're going to do a devotional. Um, and again, Riley's in high school and, and Tucker's in junior high. How, how do you think that went over in my home? <laughs> yeah, there was the eye rolling and the sighing and the, you know, and I was somewhat gracious and I tolerated that for a little while. But what, after a few days, I think it was never verbalized, but I think they thought, well, you know, I think dad's really serious about this. So I might as well get on board. And so we started that structure time in the morning. Again, it meant getting up um, a little early. And we did different things, and we, we, sometimes it was purely just taking turn, uh, turns reading a chapter uh, in the New Testament or a psalm and a proverb. Um, sometimes we'd mix it up. Uh, we we read, read uh, Tim Tebow's book, um, through, through My Eyes. I can still see the, what's that stuff? Yeah. Stuff. Anyway, and it, it, it's a really good book. It's, it's biblically based. It's, uh, you know, Tim Tebow's a pretty awesome guy. And so that was obviously something. Some of those mornings when instead of us, you know, them quickly wanting to engage, they were like, Mom, can we, do we have time for one more chapter? You know, so it was, that was encouraging as well. So again, I guess in, I do address your question. It was just struggling with the temptation to be passive and, and encourage you guys to resist that. As our kids um, got up in the oh, uh, 6 to 12-year-old age, um, you know, your kids there's issues that go on with uh, kids and families and you're wondering, Lord, how am I going to handle just different situations that happened? And so um, what I decided to do is seeing the need, Lord, we need to, we need to be praying more. Cindy and I didn't need, need to be. And so um, we, we decided let's get together once a week and have lunch. And then after a quick lunch, Let's spend some time devoting our, just these requests that are burdening our hearts. You know, as a, as a parents of four growing kids, there's always something going on. You know, lots of fun things, but also, you know, just things, challenges that every family goes through. And so we would, um, you'd like to say you would, you'd pray every day. You'd pray every night before you go to bed. But that just wasn't happening. It was your dog tired at the end of the day or whatever. So lunch for us worked. We got together uh, at the park um, or at the church here during the summertime if it was hot. And just spent time talking through as a couple, uh, being on the same page about some things that were going on with the kids. And then spending some devoted time just asking God, Lord, would you work in this area? Would you help us to have wisdom or whatever it was, uh, the need was for us. So we still use that in our lives and spend time praying for our children, for other things that are going on. As a couple, it's really good for us to have time to communicate. You know, you'd think you're under the same roof. Are you not talking about all these things? But, you know, taking time away to devote yourself to one another, talking about things and praying before the Lord. And God really answered a lot of those things through the years. Hmm. That, 
being intentional to pursue that unity and pursuing the Lord together as one, did you see any, I don't know, results or direct situations where that paid off in your family? Well, one of the, uh, talk about don't be conformed to the world. With four children, close in age, um, there, there was plenty of sibling rivalry going on in our home. Um, you know, children are born uh, basically selfish, and they want their way. They don't want to share. They want to bicker and argue and complain about stuff. And um, I can tell you our kids were definitely like that. So, you know, uh, the verse that came to mind is Philippians 2, uh, verses 3 and 4, and it says, you know, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. And then verse uh, 4 says, don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. What a great principle to teach your children. Guys, we want to treat one another kindly, respectfully. Um, we want to give and share. And, and, and so first, I needed to be modeling that in my home as a dad, serving Cindy, serving my children. Um, you know, and so that necessitated me being in touch with the Lord, walking in the spirit. Um, but yet passing that along to your kids, not settling for, well, that's just the way kids are, you know, they'll grow out of it one day. And before you know it, you know, you've got, you know, teenagers that are very selfish, have never been trained. And not to say that, you know, training them when they're young is not going to still be a struggle for each of us and them included in the older years. But that's just what God calls us to as a family. And, you know, as you work with them on um, thinking others and being a blessing to one another, I remember our boys were in baseball um, in the early years. And the girls, of course, came to all their games and because that's what we do as a family. Um, then the girls got involved in dance. Well, you know, you'd have the dance recital and, um, you know, a 10 and 11 year old boy, uh, asking them to go to a girl's dance recital. It's like, you know, the worst thing ever to <laughs> sit through a five hour worth of dancing. And, you know, but we had taught them guys, you're going to go and you're going to support your sisters. They've been there for all your baseball games. And, um, this is just what we do. This is the standard is, you're going to be a blessing to them. You're going to encourage them, support them. And now that they're in their 20s, um, having you know, tried to foster and encourage that spirit, they are um, now wanting to be involved in each other's lives rather than, you know, see you later, um, didn't really have a relationship with you growing up, so now they're not close. Hmm. You're going to see the fruit of it in years to come that they do love one another and do want to support and encourage each other. Yeah. The real key to that is that personal walk and then that marriage being that next priority. So they don't just hear you saying it, but it's modeled and it's lived. Exactly. Dusty, one thing that's been helpful to me is, is having this through the local body, guys that are a little further down the road than I am, that I can bounce ideas off of. And uh, Johnny's a good example of that, as you all already understand. Their kids are a little older than ours, and we have two teenage boys, and I want to do right. I want to make the right decisions, but sometimes I just need to bounce that off of somebody else that's a little further down the road and get that confirmation or have Johnny tell me, no, that's not the way to handle that, you know? <laughs> so we've had conversations where I, I say, Johnny, here's the deal. Here's the, it, here's the situation, and here's how I'm addressing that. 
You know, and just, again, it's just invaluable to get that perspective of somebody who's gone through a time that you're going through because, you know, we think, man, it's the world's ending. It's, it's, you know, I'm the only one experiencing that. And that's not the truth. There, there are other um, godly men that are a little further down the road. So that's been very, very helpful to me. Hmm. Rhonda, what is something that you and Lance have done to pursue unity, pursue oneness in your marriage? Yeah, um, for us, in the earlier years, it was kind of a divide and conquer thing, you know, with two young boys, and he was pursuing his master's degree. You know, I might go to women's Bible study in the morning, and he would do something with the guys in another time. But then as the boys grew up and got driver's license and could get themselves to youth group or wherever, then we could start doing couples Bible studies together. And so we've enjoyed that in recent years, uh, doing couples Bible study. And this fall, we're going to study Philippians. And so just getting to do your homework together of Philippians and memorize scripture together has been real fun and then uh, sometimes the youth group would do that as well and so the boys are like hey you know what chapter are y'all memorizing this week and so we would all have our little index cards on our bathroom mirror and go well I know what the verse is and so it was kind of fun just to keep each other as a family accountable for scripture reading and studying God's word and uh, we're involved in pre-marriage council now and get to meet with engaged couples and that's been fun and so it's just different seasons of life I think you get to do different things and you just kind of have to be real agile as to what you're capable of doing in this season or that season mm-hmm. of life. So, but just being persistent and persevering through whatever opportunities you have. Mm-hmm. I would say ours is probably very similar. We really do enjoy doing ministry together. We've done, um, been like on young life committee. And again, this was a little after our kids were older and We've done premarital counseling, and we are involved in men's and women's Bible study. And it's just, it's really fun to be able to get together and talk about the Word and what God is speaking to each of us individually and then bring it into our marriage. So I think it's really good to do things together when that time um, is appropriate. We have also established your line of marriage a date night, and even after 28 years, we still try to do that as consistently as possible. And so, um, and as I was stating earlier about Johnny kind of doing the above and beyond in our family, I really feel like that was with our marriage. I can remember when we were first, um, I think it might even be before we were married, he came to me and said, Cindy, I just want you to know, I don't want to have a good marriage. And I was like, okay. Um, and he said, (laughs) I I really want to have a great marriage. And I was like, wow, that is just so cool. And he said, but we're going to have to do some things in order to have that happen. And so right from the get-go, we were going to marriage conferences and we were reading books. Um, he's big on that. Just like a couple weeks ago, Blake shared about a book on communication in marriage. Next day, Johnny ordered it, got it. He's reading it now. He's just very proactive. And I also think one of the neat things that he has done for me um, is that he remembers that I was his wife first and he has always treated me first and then the children. And so he will ask me how I'm doing. And I will challenge you husbands, especially of if you're with children in the home, is when was the last time you asked your wife how she was doing outside of the children? You know, are you getting time with the Lord? Are you encouraged? Are you struggling? And I always knew that my life first was very important to him and our marriage was important to where he would plan, you know, trips that we would go on or things like that. And so I always think about the verses um, where it talks about know well the condition of your flocks. And so I really feel like Johnny has done that well to know the, his, has, he has quite a flock. And so <laughs> he uh, takes care of them and knows them well and he knows me well too. One thing that stuck out to me that both of you said was just taking advantage 
of things that already exist that you can do together. Conferences, Bible studies, serving together, not having to come up with ideas on your own, but really just jumping in there with what's already there. We've talked a lot about needing other people. What are some ways, I mean, we're all busy. We all have our lives to take care of, our commitments. How are ways that you were intentional to connect? What are avenues that you were able to connect with other people to be able to draw them in and figure out what might work in your life that others are doing? I think just taking advantage of the, the options that we have here, um, you know, develop relationship with Johnny just through serving on the elder board. Um, you know, there's men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies. So just looking for those opportunities to build those relationships. There's, the, again, the couples Bible study. So we're always looking for ways to establish those relationships. And, you know, again, I'm looking for, typically looking for that guy that's a little further down the road to, to help, help mentor and coach me. So. And hopefully they're looking for you, the ones yeah. that are right behind hopefully. you. Hopefully, <laughs> I think uh, for us guys who are in our careers, you, know, you don't have lots of extra time. You're busy and in your career, and then you've got your home life, which takes a big amount of time. But um, I think if all you've got is just you, your wife is your only close adult friend as a man, that that's not good. You've got to have, I'm not saying you have to have, you know, 15 guys that you're close to, but I think you need one or two guys that you're sharing your life with. They know uh, what's going on. They're celebrating your things, great things that are happening, and they're being able to pray for you as just what's, what you're um, struggling with. So uh, just catching lunch with that, uh, that guy or maybe a couple of guys, if lunch is not good, just finding a time. You've got making it a priority to have community of a couple of other men. And that can, there's lots of ways to do that. But hmm. I just put the challenge out there. Um, you're, you say you're too busy. Um, you know, that you can't let yourself be so busy that you don't have someone, some other guy. Your wife cannot be the only person that hears and knows your struggles. So hmm. I just think that's biblical. Yeah. Can, can I add one thing? Sure. That, that Rhonda does very well, and I guess a challenge to the ladies out there: um, give give your husband the the um, opportunity, the gift, yeah, of failing, because we do. Uh, I, and maybe I shouldn't speak for all the guys out there. Maybe I should speak for me. I, I'm not the big, tough, confident guy that I sometimes want to portray. Okay, I I I want to lead well. I sometimes maybe more often than I'd like, I'm going to blow it, okay? Now, there's a couple of paths that she has at that point, right? She can say, you big dummy, I knew you were going to blow it, you know? And that's just going to deflate me, and, and it's not going to make me want to step out the next time and, and you know, try to make that call or try to lead well. That's not what she does. She, she offers grace, she offers forgiveness, she offers understanding, she offers support. So again, for the ladies out there, um, again, maybe I will speak for the guys. As a general rule, they're, they're not that, that confident guy that, that maybe, maybe you think he is. They need to know that they have room to fail and that you're going to be there. It's, you know, it's a continuation of what you just talked about. We need an environment at, at home of grace and love and forgiveness. And so su- support that, that husband because he's 
trying, hopefully, uh, in an ideal world, he's trying. At least he has a desire to try to provide and lead his family well. Absolutely. And for us, we didn't grow up in these stellar homes that were both of our parents were believers. And so when we got married, it was like, what does this look like to be a godly husband and wife? And what does this look like to be um, great parents? And we we often tell our boys, you're the first teenage boys we have ever raised. So you just got to give us some grace here. (laughs) And so they just laugh with us and go, okay, well, you know, same song, second verse, we'll try this one more time and do it different the next time. But just being thankful that you've got a husband who comes to church and worships with you or being thankful that he has taken the initiative to say, hey guys, let's read through the New Testament together. And I could probably think of 30 other you know, Bible studies that I would want to do with the guys, but he's done a lot of, uh, one of them was um, preparing your son for every man's battle. That was a great thing that he took our sons through as preteens and then as teenagers of what it's like to go through puberty and what it's like to be a teenager in this world. And so it was great for um, me to step back and give him the freedom to lead and lead well and try this and try that and see how that works and see if this is going to work. And so um, just being thankful and being um, encouraging as they give it a go. Yeah. I think um, Cindy will frequently suggest, um, throw out suggestions to me. And, um, but the neat thing about it is she, she doesn't expect me to do everything that she's suggesting She's, she, I think, is what I need because she has a perspective, and it's a great perspective, on the family, on our marriage, on the home that I'm not in all day. And so she'll, she would suggest things to me. Uh, hey, have you thought about the possibility of doing X, Y, or Z? And, and you know, I, my first thought might be, oh, my gosh, not one more thing. You know, <laughs> my plate is full right now or whatever. But... You know, if I'm a wise man, I've grown over the years to go, hey, I, think about that. Don't feel pressure that you have to do it because she's very graceful. And so you wives, keep those suggestions. How you say it is important. When you say it is important. But um, hopefully us guys are, are listening. Uh, hmm. So, All right. Well, I hope this is encouraging to you. Once again, nothing you've heard is what you need to go home and do. Uh, but it's just a glimpse of... Two families that had a desire to pursue the Lord individually and also to grow in their unity before the Lord together. Hopefully it's got your creative juices going of, you know, cherry picking here and there of what you might like to try to do. But as far as an application for this week, um, married couples, I want you to get together and get some intentional time on the calendar for this week together. It can be a a date night that you get away. It can be just taking advantage of the still of the night finally at the end of the day. But get it on the calendar. Both of you make it a priority and get together to talk. And once you get there, have some, some humble, some honest discussion just on these two topics. Where are you individually with the Lord? And then where is your unity? Are you growing closer together or are you falling away? And then come up with one thing that y'all can do different to improve that, to pursue that. And then uh, singles, it's just as important for you. Uh, The top of your family structure may look a little different, but you're still a pillar in your family supporting and filtering through the things you allow in. 
And none of us were made to do this alone. So your first action point is to find some community. Find, whether it's a Bible study, an accountability partner, a home church, find some people you can lock arms with and walk this road of Christian living together. And then once you've got that, man, get that intentional time, sit down and just have an honest conversation. Where are you in your personal walk? And then how consistent are you being in engaging with that community to walk alongside you? So I'll pray for us and then uh, we can go on our way. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we come before you this morning and I thank you that you love us. I thank you. You didn't leave us on our own to figure out life by our own smarts and our own power, but that you've provided us with the Holy Spirit. You've provided us with the word of God and the body of Christ here around us. God, I pray that today you would uh, just challenge us, convict us, but also encourage us to take another step toward pursuing you uh, as a friend, intimately, Father, that we would really intentionally think of ways to invite you more into our lives and let go of our lives a little more ourselves. I pray for the marriages here in this room that you would just work in their hearts and really put a desire to grow in their oneness, grow in their fellowship and their unity, that they can be a bright picture of what it looks like between the relationship of Christ and the church. That we could be infectious and, and, and really draw people in to wanting to know you more. And that in all of this, ultimately, you would receive the glory that we're living and step with you by your design. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, have an intentional great week.